Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. When I was in academia and on the job market, I was advised not to tell anyone that I had kids and to keep it a dirty little secret of mine in case it got in their minds as a bias against offering me the job over someone else. And when I had a campus visit to interview in person for a professorship, I was still pumping. I was still breastfeeding my second child, and I had to hide that from them. Hello and welcome to This Is 8CD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a designer, educator and I'm the host of This Is 8CD based in the wonderful city of Dublin, Ireland. Now, our goal here is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organisations to become more human-centred in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. If you're new around here, let me tell you a little bit about This Is 8CD and where it all started. It started life in Sydney, Australia whilst I lived there for nearly 14 years and we've been creating content for over five years all for the love of sharing knowledge to the global design community and at this moment in time this podcast is my main focus in my career and growing it is my number one goal and if there's a few things that you can do to help me and this is HCD here's two things number one you can leave a review preferably a five-star one folks I'd really really love it it only takes a couple of minutes whether you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts please it just helps other people find the show and every little helps The second thing is you can become a patron. We just launched this recently. And a huge thanks to Cyril Sikorgion and Evelyn Cagney, who subscribed and became patrons of the show in the last couple of days. Now, if you want to do the same, the link should be in the show notes, or you can just go to our website and you can get an ad-free stream of the podcast for just €1.66 per month. And you also get a shout out as thanks. And there's other plans there where you can get exclusive items too, if you want to go a little bit more extravagant. Also, we launched a space in thisishcd.com where you can take courses now in visualization, design research, user experience and service design. So go check it out. Now, let me tell you about this episode that we've got in store for you today, folks. It is a cracker. Now, I recently caught up with Dr. Helena Darwin, a UX researcher based in New York City. Now, Helena has a doctorate in sociology and is the author of the book Redoing Gender, How Non-Binary Gender Contributes Towards Social Change. Now, as I said, we connected about a series of posts on LinkedIn that Helena made about the effect that businesses can put on people to train outside of work hours, so doing additional training outside of the the conventional nine to five. I had several conversations with people that I've coached over the years about this topic specifically. And as you'll see, it's a Pandora's box that Helena fantastically describes in great detail. We had a few technical issues on this episode, But thanks to the wonderful editors in the show, we managed to pull it all together. Let's jump straight in. Helena, brilliant to have you on the show. I'm delighted to to have you here. Maybe for our listeners, tell us a little bit about where you're coming from today. I'm a Californian from the Redwood Mountains who's been living in New York with some confusion about it for about 11 years now. Right. So I've been in Manhattan the whole time, in graduate school the whole time too, until a few years ago. So you're like a, a reverse Casey Neistat, who's, you know, the YouTuber who went from New York to California oh, right. and now he's come back to New York recently. So um, 
how how is how is it being a Californian in New York? Just an interest. Oh man, I absolutely hated New York at first. I mean, I still feel very lukewarm about it and ambivalent and keep on waiting to relocate back to the West Coast someday. But New York has been very kind to my husband and now me in terms of our careers. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of hard to walk away from that. And we've sort of figured it out. We live on a little hilltop that is pretty secluded from anyone who doesn't want to go up a giant flight of stairs. And it's where Lin-Manuel Miranda owns an apartment. It's okay. like a very nice little community. So we've got it all figured out. Our kid can walk himself to all his after school classes because they're all like two blocks away from where we live. Well, that's, yeah. it sounds quite idyllic. Um, you know, there's a, there's a famous Frank Sinatra song, Autumn in New York. I don't know if you know it, but um, it's a, it paints a beautiful picture and you definitely paint a beautiful picture of New York there as well. But, you know, Helena, we were chatting there beforehand. You've got a PhD in sociology. And what piqued my interest was a LinkedIn comment or LinkedIn post, should we say, that you posted a number of weeks ago around the role of user experience and pushing back against the notion that UX, you should be expected to upskill outside of work hours. Now, what I think I'll do for listeners is I'll put a link to the the thread in uh, LinkedIn in the show notes as well. So people can jump in and have a look at it because there's lots of other great comments in there as well. But I'm going to read it off and uh, I'm going to drill into a little bit more information to get your background and your thoughts and where this came from. Okay. So Alana wrote, I'm committed to pushing back against the notion that we in UX should be expected to upskill outside of work hours and that failure to do so is career sabotage. This cultural norm and its underlying logic perpetuates inequality, specifically occupational discrimination against caregivers and in practice discrimination against mothers of young children. Must be nice to have the time to take extra courses or attend after work events. But for many of us, those after work hours are dedicated to cooking for and feeding our families, having a few hours of connection with our children and partners, putting multiple children to bed and then doing meal prep and cleaning the whole house before collapsing into an exhausted puddle. I can relate. The weekends are for non-urgent housework that's piled up during the week and for creating memories with our children whom we send off to school and after school during the 40 plus hours per week and our full-time jobs. I'm enthusiastic about any opportunities to upskill during my work hours, but the expectation to do it all in my own time is deeply flawed and perpetuates the mommy penalty. My own time does not belong to me. It's a precious collective resource shared by my family. My employer is not my only stakeholder. So are you still there, Helena? Yeah, I'm here. You are there. Your just camera's gone off, but that's completely cool. Oh. First of all, I love this, okay? Um, and the reason why I love it is because this is Hate City started off way back when I lived in Australia. And it originally was a breakfast a breakfast podcast. The first couple of episodes were breakfasts between the hours of seven o'clock and nine o'clock with a small group of people for people who, who were unable to make the meetups that were happening uh, after hours because I wasn't able to make it because I just found myself, I was a, I was a dad uh, of a young baby and I was like, well, I can't go to these meetups anymore. I don't want to be disconnected from my community so I created a mini community myself, and this is where this is HCD came from. So this, 
whole kind of premise of what we were talking about there um, deeply resonates with me from a, from a purpose perspective. But I want to get your perspective on it. Sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you for the very sweet compliments about it. <laughs> so I guess my um, point of view is informed by the fact that I have a PhD in sociology with a focus on gender specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am at an expert level of education in gender inequality and how it manifests in organizational settings such as the workplace. Yeah. And how um, group norms perpetuate inequality and reinforce the status quo, which in this case is patriarchy and men having a competitive advantage in the workplace over women. Um, This is also all tied into the wage gap and the fact that when uh, heterosexual couples have kids, oftentimes the man, if anything, gets a bonus because of his employers feeling like, oh, well, he has a family to provide for now. He's really going to need to step up and take care of them and we can help by giving him more responsibilities and more money. Whereas for women, the opposite happens, mm. that it's, um, there's an assumption that you will be, first of all, having to take off for, you know, the physical trauma that is childbirth yeah, and the recovery afterwards. And often in the United States, not getting enough time to physically recover, especially if you have a C-section, yeah. you're having to just go back to work with, you know, your body still leaking Feeling. and bleeding and oozing and you have to pretend like all is well yeah um but because you know in the united states often it's generous if you even get a month off for um giving birth and recovering which means you have to go back to work full time when your baby is still only a couple of weeks old wow and um oftentimes the assumption that you are now distracted your value as a worker has gone down. You have um, too many curveballs that are going to come up with doctor's appointments for your kid and having to pick up the kid and staying home with the sick kid to be given more responsibilities. Um, and all of these things are oftentimes happening subconsciously in people's minds when they're evaluating who to offer more responsibilities and more money mm-hmm. to. But it's still there. I mean, when I was in academia and on the job market, I was advised not to tell anyone that I had kids and to, you know, keep it a dirty little secret of mine in case it got in their minds as a bias against offering me the job over someone else. And when I had a campus visit to interview in person for a professorship, I was still pumping. I was still breastfeeding my second child and I had to hide that from them. And I had a really busy cramped schedule with back-to-back events with them all day and had to find time to run back to my hotel room before going out to dinner with them to pump. So I didn't get mastitis before going back out again. And like, I couldn't tell them because that's how severe the mommy penalty is. So now that I'm in industry instead of academia, I was really looking forward to having uh, firmer boundaries between my work hours and my personal hours. Because in academia, if it, it, there is no time off. Any weekend, any summer break, any whatever, you're supposed to be publishing. 
you can never publish enough. I mean, it's such a cutthroat competitive world. No amount of work is ever good enough and you should always, always, always be working. So I was really excited about selling out (laughs) and going into industry and uh, making actual money and also being able to enjoy my weekends and my evenings and be able to maybe develop hobbies and maybe have friendships. Where does self-care and breathing come into all of this? Like it's right. Right. And like also like have better mental health and then show up as a better parent for my children so that they don't inherit mental health issues. So, you know, like this was part of my impetus to even go into industry. And now that I'm Mm. here and I've been primarily at a company that really prides itself on being family friendly Mm -hmm. and on being very nice and supportive and whatever. But I have been grilled and one-on-ones with managers about like, what is your individual professional development plan? How do you plan on upskilling? Show me what you plan to do in like what weeks of the month are you going to achieve X, Y, and Z goals that you set for yourself? I'm going to help you monitor your progress. And I was like, but I mean, that's ridiculous because some weeks are busier than others. And if I'm already working full time in a week, I'm not going to meet my goal. So I don't think that this is really the right approach to take. And they were like, well, I mean, you're always going to have curveballs and some weeks that are busier than others. You still need to upskill. You still need to meet mm. your goals. So I just felt like a lot of pressure, especially from people who don't have children, to once again be working around the clock, to once again not really feel like I ever have actual time off, that any time off that I have should be devoted towards upskilling. And it just didn't sit well with me. Like, Mm. not only does that go against any claims of a company being family friendly, but it also reduces me to a capitalist cog again, whose only value is in constant work. It's funny when, when I was younger uh, and I'd work in agencies, um, and I was, you know, young, free and relatively single, even though I was with my now wife, who was, we were then boyfriend, girlfriend, there used to be people in there that had had kids. And I was guilty of throwing my eyes up to heaven when I'd see the five o'clock come and I was like, there they are going home. I'll have to pick up the slack. Mm-hmm. And the role of that, um, I guess I was, I was young, I was naive. And there's, there's probably people listening to the podcast who, who see that, like they see parents, you know, having to dash off to uh, pick up their kids who are sick or whatever that from school. And I'm sorry to tell them, but that's life. Okay. This is, there are, there are other things outside of work that, um, that are more important. And, uh, they're usually the children that, that come first for all parents' lives. So in academia, you know, the world that you're painting there at the moment, it actually is a pretty bleak picture that you're painting um in terms of the pressure that that can put on particularly mothers of children who are working in the academic world um how do you see that resolving itself other than which you know leaving industry altogether and moving into academia or out of academia into industry how can academia move on because it sounds like it's living in the dark ages 
I mean, it is. There, there are a lot of really fascinating think pieces comparing academia to feudal systems and mm-hmm. looking at the really toxic ways that the entrenched hierarchies and power differentials between people at different levels um, manifests in basically like exploiting underlings for free labor um, with the constant threat of the all powerful letter of recommendation from somebody who's out of touch and super privileged and whether they like you or not can make or break your life and your career. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I write, I do a lot of shit posting about academia on Twitter. If people I've are noticed. into that, that's where most of it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I also, I mean, on LinkedIn, I try to take a slightly different approach on LinkedIn. I try to really be vocal about being there as a support for people mm-hmm. who are transitioning out of academia and also gently sharing my insights into how industry could maybe be better um, without having the same snarky tone since potential employers are seeing all of that. So uh, that's sort of like the softer tone that I take on LinkedIn and the snarkier tone is on Twitter. But yeah, I mean, like I have a lot to say about academia, but in terms of industry, you know, I think that there's something about the fact that user research and, you know, interactive design and all the different careers that are tied into the audience listening to this podcast, because it's all tied to technology and technology advances at such a rapid pace, whether because it actually needs to, or because that's how you make money. I mean, there is always upskilling that needs to be done among the people who are studying human experiences to maintain your skill set. It is always evolving. And frankly, that's what really attracts me to this field. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm the highest tech person, but mm-hmm. I'm really fascinated by social change. I'm really fascinated by mental health yeah. and um, community formation and the direction that technology is headed with all of this emphasis on virtual reality and AI and just all of these developments that are going to eventually be ever present in people's lives. I mean, Mm. that does require the people in this field to be a step ahead of whatever is actually happening so that we can anticipate what the next area is going to be that needs to be researched and, you know, know a thing or two about it so that when those jobs all of a sudden start flooding the market, we're among the first who are eligible mm-hmm. to apply instead of lagging behind once it's already saturated. But that is a lot of pressure. And yeah. again, I'm fine with staying up to date and upskilling and all that stuff if it's during the hours that I am being compensated for. I mean, I know it's not an hourly wage, but notionally it's an, you know, nine to five type of job. So yeah. if all of that is encouraged among employees during those hours. Great. Sign me up. I want to be as sharp as I can be, but I cannot sacrifice my children to my career. Like I just cannot. Yeah. I I think it might be a little bit naive to think that like, just because they're technology companies that um, they're a little bit more um, adaptable to, to be responsible as regards how they care for 
um, mothers and care for for parents. Uh, I I think that what we're seeing at the moment is we're we're at a point of time. You obviously you've got the the big resignation um, post COVID. If we're out of post COVID, even at, at that point, there's been a lot of behaviours that have been um, developed and created over the last three years that we've somehow we're at that point where we're kind of going, we're in this limbotic state where we're saying, are we, are we going to take these? Are we going to, you know, what, what are we going to keep and what are we going to lose? And I think a lot of the businesses are starting to revert back to uh, the old behaviors. And I mean, the old behaviors, the behaviors of the nineties where Mm -hmm. they're owning their person's time between nine to five. And you can see them on LinkedIn. You can see um, Facebook, Zuckerberg's um, recent posts about like weeding out the week and all this kind of stuff. It's it's like the Hunger Games in many ways, mm-hmm. and it, it paints a really a really nasty picture about where industry is at at the moment. Where do you see this all going at the moment? Um, a few things came to mind while you were talking. One of them is during COVID, women's march towards wage equality was set back by some estimate 30 years. Really? Yeah. Whoa. In the US or globally? Globally. Globally. Um, because when people had to figure out what to do with the lack of childcare, one person had to figure it out, yeah. support the children while the other person worked. That person was usually the one who's earning less. Yeah. In most heterosexual couples, the person earning less is the woman. Mm-hmm. So around the world, women had to quit their jobs or beg for accommodations that really marginalized them in terms of competitive edge in their Promotion. workplace. Yeah. And the man kept on working with the support of the woman. So around the world, I mean, estimates are that like, in terms of predicting the date at which, um, mm. at the rate that it's been gradually accelerating, women would finally have pay equity. It's mm-hmm. set back by about 30 years now. And so so that's one piece of this. And you'd think that the move to uh, remote work is a family-friendly move. And in some ways it is. However, my experience of it is that once you... Um, find yourself having to accommodate different time zones. Yeah. Your work day expands to take up almost your entire day. Yeah. So I'm on the East Coast, but I'm in an agency setting that is very client interactive focused. Mm-hmm. Most of my clients happen to be on the West Coast because of where a okay. lot of the big tech hubs are. Yeah. So not only am I supposed to be logging on to work at a reasonable hour in the morning to be in communication with all of my colleagues on the East Coast and to get a start on my workday while my children are at school. But I also have to accommodate the timeline of people who are three hours later than me and working until 9 p.m. my time. I know. And they are often sending me urgent, time-sensitive correspondence that I have to drop everything and reply to during the hours where I am feeding my children, I am cleaning my house, I am trying to give them baths, I'm trying to get them ready for bed, I'm singing to them in bed, and then I get up and have more cleaning to do. And during all this time, I know that I should be checking my email, I should be checking my Slack, I have things that are happening that might be urgent. 
So it actually, the remote work situation results in a collapse of the boundary, the very tenuous, fragile boundary that separated work from personal time to begin with yeah. so that there's just no boundary so that you're supposed to be working all the time when you're remote. And so like I personally am really excited about working in person again because then I can be 100% focused and not distracted by, oh, my house is really messy. I should take a break from working to clean it or, you know, juggling childcare duties, like getting the door for deliveries, having to unload groceries, all that stuff during my work day. And then my work day goes longer into the evening to compensate for those breaks that I took. Yeah. And like, I'm looking forward to having that boundary again. I think that that actually in a lot of ways is more family friendly than the current situation. It's, it's almost trigger inducing when you're talking about the pressure there when you're referring to like getting text messages at night um when you're putting your kids to bed and you're having that pressure because i like and put my kids to bed like putting two grenades to sleep um and anything that gets in the way of that it's just it could potentially blow up and ruin my entire night and then the next day as well so it's a really it's a really kind of uh, unusual period of the day for us in our house so I can I can't only imagine what it's like um, having that ongoing. Like I had it for a period of time from six o'clock in Australia to ten o'clock at night when we were running workshops in my previous role, and it's just it, you burn out so quickly. Like I I burnt out really badly uh, during that period, and it's it's there's no long term kind of benefits from it. It's very short term thinking, and it's very detrimental to your mental health. Absolutely. What kind of supports do businesses offer, especially in the U.S.? Because I know that's where main your main focus is on. What kind of supports do the businesses provide to people who are working in those spaces, like in academia or in industry? Do they provide any bursaries for mental health, um, psychology, therapists, or anything like that? Um, well, some of them do. But that's just putting a Band-Aid on a gushing wound. Yeah. I mean, that's just acknowledging that there's a problem and expecting workers to figure out ways to cope Mm. so that the actual structure of the workplace doesn't have to deal with it or change. So, you know, I can go to talk therapy all I want. It doesn't change the fact that I'm working nights and weekends. Yeah to keep up with the really tight timeline of a client facing industry. What advice do you give to the business leaders? Some of who may be listening to this podcast and, you know, they they're probably kind of alarmed that this is the perspective that, you know, returning to work mums go through. Is this something you believe that they can tackle or is this something that maybe goes further and closer towards policy level at government level? I don't think that this is a complicated thing to solve in terms of how remote work is affecting caregivers. I think you just need to be more mindful about pairing people who are in the same time zones together. So a stakeholder on the West Coast should not be assigned a researcher and a designer on the East Coast. Teams should all be within the same time zone to be able to protect the, you know, relative like nine till six block 
that is sort of a soft promise in a society where people have children and have other things they have to do. Okay, that's that's awesome, Helena. If people want to reach out and continue the conversation with you, what's the best way for people to do that? Um, yeah, if people want to stay in touch, I post a lot on LinkedIn and also on Twitter under Helena Darwin. The trick is you have to spell my first name right, which is H-E-L-A-N-A. Yeah. I am not Helena. And you can remember Darwin because, yes, yeah. I am related to Charles Darwin, which is super fun. And you can also go to my website, especially if you want to direct people to resources for advice sessions on getting that first user researcher job. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, thanks so much for your time today, uh, Helena. Thank you so much for your patience with the ridiculous amount of technical difficulties we had today. This has been really great. That's all good. there you go folks i hope you enjoyed that episode and if you enjoyed it and want to listen to more why not visit thisishatecd.com where you can learn more about what we're up to and also explore our courses whilst you're there thanks again for listening